0: Can you say what your purpose is? How do you decide what to do on a daily basis? What do you want to be when you grow up? Welcome to episode 156 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Faye, Lucy, Michelle, and Sharon. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Faye, Lucy, Michelle, and Sharon, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of Alcoholics Synatics who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at the recovery show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer and I'm your host today. I want to start with a reading which opens a book titled Life on Purpose. June 20th, 2010, 5.15 a.m. In my kayak, a few miles from shore, paddling hard, Lake Michigan, smooth and ice cold. My kayak cutting through a thick, silky curtain of water off the bow. Still in boxers and t-shirt, hadn't thought about dressing for the chilly morning air. Wasn't really thinking. I'd been woken by a dream, climbed out of bed, and a minute later pushed off into the lake. Not very smart. Lake Michigan owns hundreds of ships and certainly its share of puny kayaks. Didn't really care. Maybe I'll paddle to Wisconsin, I thought. But the sun stopped my paddling as it broke over the horizon. I turned toward the east and sat still, perfectly quiet. Suddenly, a billion gold flecks of light surrounded me as the sun rose. In that moment, I felt the warmth and love of my daughter, Julia. Get over it, Dad, she was telling me. I almost tipped over. It was startling to hear her voice. She'd died just a few months before. So one day recently, I walked past a local bookstore and I noticed a book in the window with the title Life on Purpose. It stopped me briefly because I remembered my friend Vic, who had written a book a few years ago whose title was On Purpose. And then I noticed that this book was also by him. So I stopped, I went into the store, and I picked up the cop- a copy. After noting the price, it's, you know, a new hardback, I put it back down, thinking, well, I don't know. And then I picked it up again, I read some of the quotes on the back, and I opened it up and sampled some random pages, and I bought it. Why did I do that? Because the message of the book speaks to where I am in my recovery, in the ways that recovery has challenged me over the years to articulate my values and, and my purpose, the premise of the book, I think, is captured in the subtitle, How Living for What Matters Most Changes Everything, which is an intriguing idea, changing everything. Because in a very real way, in recovery, we are changing, maybe not quite everything, but we're, we're changing a lot about ourselves. And in fact, in our book, How al Works, in the discussion of the first step, It says, the battle against alcoholism has become the basis for many of our relationships. Putting an end to this battle requires completely redefining what we believe about ourselves, others, and our relationships. Changing everything. So I want to talk about this book. I want to talk about what it has to say, what it suggests that I do, how I see that fitting into my life of recovery. You know, the first thing that that I said is that being in recovery has challenged me to really think about what are my values Um, and to some extent, what is, what is my purpose? What is my mission? Because in doing my fourth step inventory and sharing it with another person in the fifth step, and then moving on into steps six and seven where I become entirely ready to remove my defects of character and humbly ask my higher power to remove my shortcomings, I have to understand what I consider what I consider to be my defects of character and my shortcomings and those are the things that I do the ways in which I act that you know at one time in my life had value and now are no longer working for me they don't match with with who I am now or with who I want to be and that of course raises the question well who who do I want to be you know what am I aspiring towards and this word purpose, it to some extent captures that. might ask, well, what is the purpose of having a purpose? In brief, it's to give some direction and meaning to my life. Um, in a little bit more detail, it gives me a way to ask when I'm doing something or considering doing something, does, does this thing I'm doing align with my values? Does it forward my purpose? And you know, as a person in twelve-step recovery, one of those one of those purposes or a piece of my purpose may be captured in step twelve where I carry this message to others. And I'll come back to that. It also helps me to articulate what matters to me. There's a lot of things that we talk about in Al Anon. We talk about setting boundaries, we talk about taking care of ourselves, we talk about finding balance. And in order to do those things, I have to know, at least at some level, what is important to me, what's not important to me, what's important to me not to do, and what's important to me to me in the ways that I want to act. And so, finding purpose, defining purpose, um, helps me to work my program. It later on in the book, Vic talks about how his daughter's illness changed the way in which he and his family lived their lives that they stopped taking their life for granted and started creating their life. And he says, this expression took for granted suggests that you're owed something that you naturally deserve something in this case, that life and its experiences should be granted to you. The unexpected thing that happened to the rest of our family is that we stopped taking our own lives for granted. We stopped expecting a certain life to happen to us. Instead started creating our own lives. I hear some words in there, not said in there, that again we deal with in the program, there's expectations. When we take something for granted, when we expect that something is to be granted to us, that sets us up for failure, it sets us up for disappointment, it sets us up for anger and resentment. And we learn in this program to let go of expectations and we learn to ask for the things we want. Having a purpose in life means that we know the things we want and that we can actively work towards them, whether it's by asking for them, by setting boundaries around the things we do, by doing first things first, so that the important things get done and move us forward towards our purpose. One of the recurring themes throughout the book, this book Life on Purpose, is that having a purpose and living towards our own values not only you know, maybe gets us further to where we're wanting to go, but it also has positive effects on our health, on our energy, and on how we approach life. That's just amazing. And, and he cites a whole bunch of studies finding that people who have a purpose or are reminded of their purpose are healthier, they sleep better, they recover from diseases faster, they're less likely to have cancer, and they live longer. A couple of quotes here. Studies demonstrate that people reporting a strong purpose in life, on average, live longer lives than those with a weak purpose. And people with a strong purpose in life also, on average, do better psychologically and socially than those without. They have better sex, sleep better, are less likely to become depressed, and are more relaxed. Diabetics with a strong purpose are more likely to have their blood glucose under control. People who have received drug and alcohol rehab are half as likely to relapse six months later if they started treatment with a strong purpose. To me, again, this comes back to many of the steps. It comes back to step six and seven in particular. Um, but it also comes back to the to our inventory steps and to living forward, practicing these principles in all our affairs, and that this notion of living Living on purpose, living with a purpose, I, I feel is, is embedded in many of the steps and in the actions we take when we work the steps. Vic writes, so let's imagine a drug that was shown to add years to your life, reduce the risk of heart attack and stroke, cut your risk of Alzheimer's disease by more than half, help you relax during the day and sleep better at night, double your chances of staying drug and alcohol free after treatment, activate your natural killer cells, diminish your inflammatory cells, increase your good cholesterol, and repair your DNA. And I'll just pause and and say that he has uh, citations to studies that demonstrate all these positive effects uh, in the book. What if this imaginary drug reduced hospital stays so much that it put a dent in the national healthcare crisis? Oh, and as a bonus, gave you better sex. The pharmaceutical company who made the drug would be worth billions. The inventors of the drug would receive Nobel Prizes and have institutes named for them. But it's not a drug. It's purpose. And it's free. Oh, and the side effects? More friends, better happiness, deeper engagement in life. Well, that sounds pretty miraculous, and it. And, and I think that was one of the paragraphs that I, uh, I dipped into as I was reading the book and helped me decide to buy it. He goes a little more into some of what's underneath these effects, some of what current science believes is is happening. And it goes all the way back to some concepts that were invented by Greek philosophers. I think Aristotle, in this case, he used a couple of words hedonic, which you have probably heard of hedonism, uh, meaning self-enhancing pleasure, short-term uh, desires, gratifying short-term desires, and eudaimonic, which is labeled self-transcending, and it's connecting with our inner divinity, living in harmony with it. And if that doesn't connect right to step three, giving the care of our life to a higher power, and step 11, uh, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with our higher power, I certainly make that connection. We do this connection with our, our inner self, our inner higher power, The term in Greek is daimon, D-A-I-M-O-N, which is translated loosely as divinity. I also think of it as inner self, inner God, inner higher power, that still small voice, all these these terms that I've heard in the rooms, I've heard in, in recovery presentations. And we do this in step 11 by practicing prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact. And also... Through other practices that are not in the steps, uh, one that comes to my mind right away is, is making a gratitude list that, that helps me to be in contact with the things that um, are good in my life and to not look for just the the short-term fix, the, uh, the short-term shutting off of a feeling that I might get from, say, playing a game of Candy Crush. He says, those who attained hedonic aspirations recorded greater anxiety and physical symptoms of poor health, whereas those attaining eudaimonic aspirations reported greater life satisfaction, self-esteem, and positive feelings. That echoes what I have found uh, working the steps. And it it helps me to perhaps understand a, a more scientific basis for why these steps work for me why this program works for me, because I'm shifting my focus from avoiding pain. I'm shifting my focus from things that give me short-term gratification or short-term relief from pain and moving towards practices that connect me with my higher self, with my higher power, um, and that give me a place to work from towards something positive rather than away from something negative. So what is the ultimate purpose of human activity, he writes? Is it just being nice? No, eudaimonia requires self-discovery of all the things you care most deeply about and that transcend your immediate desires, of the people you most want to emulate, of the legacy you want to leave, of your purpose in life, of the habitual actions leading to the fulfillment of this purpose. And that, to some extent, foreshadows the rest of the book, which is, How do we articulate our purpose? And what can we do that helps us to live a life on purpose? So the first question is, well, how do I find my purpose? How do I describe my purpose? For this, for me, it it was very helpful to have some examples. There are are a bunch of examples in the book. I will call out Vic's purpose, which he says, My purpose is to help others create a purpose in their lives to teach every student as if they were my own daughter, to be an engaged husband and father, and to enjoy love and beauty. He goes on to say, you know, it's okay to consider the different roles that you may have in your life. We're not just one thing, most of us. And to consider those different roles and to think perhaps uh, that we might have a different purpose in each of those roles. And, And in fact, if we take, his purpose statement and and break it down. He says, my purpose is to help others create a purpose in their lives. And that's a statement about his role in community, his purpose in, in community. To teach every student as if they were my own daughter. And that speaks to his purpose in work. To be an engaged husband and father, which speaks to his purpose in family. And to enjoy love and beauty, which is his personal purpose. Another way to think about purpose, and this might help to weed out some things that are maybe not your purpose, is to ask, well, imagine that, that you're buried and you have something written on your headstone, and what do you want it to say, or what do you want it not to say? So I thought about this, and I and I think I might want it to say something like, beloved mentor, husband, and father. Or I probably don't want it to say, achieved the highest score ever in Candy Crush, Yeah, I don't think so. So when I'm thinking about how do I spend my time, does spending time playing games on my phone advance my purpose? Does it move me towards that beloved mentor, husband, and father? Or does it move me towards highest score ever in Candy Crush? Ouch. He suggests starting by asking yourself, what are your values? And picking maybe your top three values. And he gives a potential list, but uh, of course you can add your own to that list. I certainly did. Uh, You may recall back in episode 101, which was recorded uh, at the beginning of 2015, I listed out four values that I hold of integrity, commitment, acceptance, and love. And so then I would ask, well, do these values or how do these values drive my purpose? How do they support my purpose? or how do my purpose might arise out of them? And what other values might be part of my purpose or might support my purpose? Another question, another way to come at it is to look at people that I admire and ask what, what, their, what I see their values as being or what I see their purpose as being. And, and might I want to emulate them in some way? So these are that's that's just the first step in in creating a purpose. Then, based on my values, what are my goals? These goals become basically part of the purpose statement or comprise the purpose statement. And he suggests that these be statements starting with the word "to." To. So I looked at at again at the four roles that Vic has in his purpose statement, and I thought about well, what my what might my purpose be? in each of those four roles in my life, because I do, I do play all those four roles. And in, I think it's pretty clear to me that uh, in, in community, I have a goal of carrying the message of recovery to others. I do that by being a sponsor in Al-Anon. I do that by doing this podcast. I do that maybe not so explicitly by being um, a mentor and a leader to young people in my church community. So those are some of the actions that come out of that that part of my purpose. In the work arena, that one's it's a little harder to, to think about. Well, why why do I do the work that I do? It's actually not that hard now that I now that I say it. Um, for for some people, uh, work may not be related to your purpose, and it may be very difficult to find something about your work that that you really believe is part of your life's purpose. But for me, I can state this as. To create software that makes a difference in people's lives, and and I honestly feel that the work that I've been doing for at least the last twenty years is towards that purpose. Has always been towards that purpose, and it's it's one of the reasons that I'm still in the job that that I've been in for twenty years because I continue to find that what I do has a positive effect on on people's lives of so the people who use that software, and I don't do it alone, obviously. Most of us don't do our work alone. In the family role, what, do I wanna, what would I want to have on, on my headstone uh, for my purpose in, in family? And the statement that I, that I have here is to be a loving and committed husband, father, and son. And right there, actually, two of my value words are, are in that statement right there. Love and commitment. In family, I have I have those three roles, and you know I have spoken. I think of some of the uh, difficulties and some of the aspirations that I have in playing out those roles right now, uh, and how recovery is is helping me uh, to be the person that I want to be, to to meet those values of of love and commitment, and personal goal and one that, that I do struggle with at times, is to be fully present and to enjoy life. I found that uh, there's an interesting statement in the in the book, in a, in a chapter about creativity. He writes, Researchers found positive effects on both physical and mental health, not only from choral singing, creating, but from watching a film, going to an art museum, or listening to a concert, appreciating. And as somebody who feels a little bit, handicapped in the area of musical and artistic creation uh, i i was really happy to hear that when i appreciate music is helping me to have the positive effects that come from being creative as well That's, that was that was neat to learn to be fully present and to enjoy life being fully present is something that i continue to work on and towards, I am a person who often wants to have a soundtrack for my life, if you will. Um, I want to have something going in the background. I might be reading, I might be listening to a podcast, I might be listening to music, I might be watching a show, I might be uh, playing a relatively mindless game on my phone those things distract me from being fully present in the moment. I practice trying to be present. I practice just, just yesterday uh, as I was eating lunch, I was reading the chapter about, about presence, about being present. And so I sat down the book and I tried to be fully present in the bite of, a food that I was having at that moment to really appreciate all of the flavors and the smells and the textures and, and the nu- nourishment that I was getting in that moment. This is not something that is automatic for me. It is something that I, that I have to do consciously. So there's something, you know, I need to exercise that presence muscle. I guess that's the way to put it. Just as I exercise my physical muscles by going to the gym, I can exercise that presence muscle by meditating, by focusing on this bite of food by listening closely to a piece of music rather than just having it going in the background. There are lots of ways to exercise that presence muscle and to be more present and to thereby get more enjoyment out of life. Because when I'm when I'm distracted, when I'm doing three things at once, um, I actually have less enjoyment in that. So we talk about about values, about understanding our values, and about affirming our values. And it turns out that when we affirm values as a reason for making a change, we affirm positive values as a reason for making a change, rather than more negative motivations, we're actually more likely to accomplish that change and to maintain it. I'm still working on what this means, sort of personally, but one way to think about it is going to the gym and eating less, if i doing that because I want to lose weight, because I want to be less heavy, I want to have less belly hanging over my belt, you know, that's a motivation and that will get me going. But what the research shows is that if I instead think about a value of being healthy, or or I think just... You know, focusing on my values in general. And I think that, in fact, they don't have to necessarily relate to the goal, but focusing on, you know, my values of, of commitment and integrity and love and compassion and affirming those values before I go exercise, that in fact it works better. Um, and that's just really amazing. I think again about step six and seven here, although they are phrased in the negative. Our, I know that our literature, when we talk about uh, becoming entirely ready, it talks in, in, in some length about, you know, visualizing a new self, visualizing a self with positive versions of these character traits. And I think that's, that's important. Um, you know, this is humility in step seven of accepting ourselves as we are, but also this looking forward to um, the person that we can be. And I found this positive approach to behavior change in the AA Big Book. It is actually in the discussion of Step 11. It says, On awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. And to me, that's suggesting that I start my day by focusing on the the positive person that I want to be, the person without self-seeking, self-pity, the person with integrity and commitment. And if I do that at the beginning of the day, the research says that, that I will have a better day, that I will act more in accordance with my values, certainly, but that I also will enjoy it more, that I will have more energy, and that I will get more done. And again, we go back to that. If somebody created a pill that had these effects, like people would be lining up the doors, out the doors to get it, and the company would make millions and billions of dollars. And here it's free. Also, in that same section of the big book, when we retire at night, we constructively review our day. So we look back and we say, how how did I live my values today? And in those places where I didn't, do I need to make amends? Do I, what, do I need to do um, you know, something about that. Uh, but just being aware of where we're living to and not living to our values, I think, is is helpful and is a, is a really, it's a core piece of our recovery, um, this continuous inventory, continuous self-examination. So as I start living according to the will of my higher power, as I start living towards finding eudaimonic pleasure rather than hedonic pleasure, as I start Living with self transcending goals and values. Apparently and again this you know, I found this in this program that I feel better about myself, I feel better about life, and I am I'm able to get out and do things where I just would have not had the energy to do it before. I love this little quote from Chrissy Hine that's that's found at the beginning of one of the chapters about self-transcendence. She says make the other band members look and sound good. Bring out the best in them. That's your job. Uh, Chrissy Hind was one of the founding members of the rock band, The Pretenders, and you know, the lead, lead singer. And for her to say um, that her job is to make the other members of the band sound good is maybe a little surprising, but I think that if, if everybody's out there trying to make themselves look good, the band as a whole does not do so well. And since almost none of us live in isolation, it's important to keep in mind. But on the flip side of that, and again, as Elanons, this may be something we struggle with because we may often put the other person too much in front of ourselves and we're encouraged to start thinking about ourselves a little more. We need to set good boundaries. We need to find balance between self-transcending and self-supporting, I think. Maybe a way to look at it but when i can find a self transcending why for what i do i do it better when i remember that i'm creating software that helps other people live their lives better i'm more motivated i'm more focused uh, and i'm less likely to go off on tangents that maybe make me look good but don't don't accomplish that goal one of the one of the things that keeps coming up and as we talk about making change in our lives as we talk, uh, you know in, the, in a program about going to meetings, about being a sponsor, about working the steps, about exercising, about meditating and praying. How do I find the time? I don't have any time to do all these things. There's an interesting observation that Vic makes in the book. I think he I, I know he got it from somebody else and I don't remember who right now that it really is not about time management, it's about energy management. That the reason, and and I can you know, confirm this in my own life, that often it's not that I don't have time to do something, it's that I don't have the energy to do it. That I feel I need to take time to recharge my energy, or I just can't get up off my butt and go do it. So how do I get energy? How do I manage my energy? And again positive affirmation of values and purpose can increase our energy. This has been shown through studies. And I think that if you have, for example, taken up the practice of, of creating a gratitude list, maybe on a daily basis, I, I often do it before bed. And so I don't know that it's giving more, more energy, but it helps me to sleep better. Maybe if I did it in the morning, I'd start out the day with more energy. We can get energy through various ways and we can stop spending energy. You know, if I approach my life in a positive fashion, thinking about the things that I want to accomplish, the things that my purpose drives me to accomplish rather than the things that I have to do, which might be the same things. Some very often it's an attitude matter, not a, not what is it's the way I feel about it. The way I think about it, the way I approach it, that's the problem. There are things I can do to get energy, and I'll talk about that in in a a little bit, but it's not not just about energy, we also need direction. And so, if we do something that gives us energy, but then we don't know how we want to apply that energy, we probably end up going off in, in a whole bunch of different directions and accomplishing very little. About 2,000 years ago, the Stoic philosopher Seneca wrote, When a man does not know what harbor he is making for, no wind is the right wind. So, he keeps coming back to this in the book, he comes back to this image of a of a sailboat. So we need energy to make the wind to, to make the boat go, but we also need a purpose to help us know where we want to go um, and values that help uh, help be the rudder for the boat to, to get us going in the direction that we want to go. So if we don't know where we wanna go and we and we, we don't have any way to steer, we're just gonna probably go around in circles and not get anywhere. So a large portion of the, the book is about the ways in which we can get this positive energy, we can bring this into our lives. He has this acronym SPACE to make it easy to remember. SPACE stands for Sleep, Presence, Activity, Creativity, and Eating. I'll say that again. Sleep, Presence, Activity, Creativity, and Eating. And he devotes a chapter to each of these. I want to comment a little bit about presence. Well, this is something that, that, that I'm working on, obviously, as I mentioned. And he talks in there about being present, about how that can help us to see the things that we need to do and to accomplish them and to get the energy to accomplish them. And he talks about different forms of meditation. Since we did a whole... A whole episode on meditation. I'm not, I'm not going to uh, go too far on that. Each of the chapters ends with um, a set of things that you can do to help bring this particular factor into your life. Just briefly, some of the tips for increasing your presence, simple techniques you may want to try. They're based on scientific knowledge and have been used successfully by real people. Come back to the moment by focusing on your breath. Inhale over a five to seven second period, then exhale over seven seconds. Simple and effective. And I think many of us have done this. It's amazing when I'm feeling just sort of tired and dragged out, uh, not ready to go forward, maybe wound up at the same time, I can take a single deep breath and feel some energy definitely works take a moment to savor just one thing pick a tiny activity you do every day and let it fill up your whole consciousness and here's one that we've talked about before finding something or someone to blame is easy they're everywhere right to change things up try looking for reasons to be grateful instead just a few ways to increase your presence and he has uh, similar discussions of the the benefits of of sleep another eh, one i struggle with not getting enough in other words not doing it as well as necessary i had a definite example of how not sleeping well uh, can affect my energy level for the whole day negatively um, that i think i will talk about uh, in the my life and recovery section of the podcast in a little bit Talked a little bit about creativity, about how creativity can can come out, the energy of creativity can come out in many different ways, including appreciating things, not just making them. But I also find creativity in my work, believe it or not. Being a computer programmer can be a very creative activity. Here's a chapter about willpower. I don't know about you, but how many times in my life have I Tried to will myself to do something I didn't really feel like doing, and how how well what did that work? Uh, and he opens this chapter with a quote from W. C. Fields, which I think most of us will um, appreciate, if if not, chuckle at. Now, don't say you can't swear off drinking. It's easy. I've done it a thousand times. The notion that sheer willpower can get us through a change. Um, I think is one of the fallacies of of modern American thinking. But what what he points out in the book and what uh, research has shown is that we can support our will by doing these things that get us positive energy, by affirming our values, um, by considering our purpose, we can actually increase our will. Um, All of these S-P-A-C-E activities give us more energy and thus uh, help us to actually carry out our will. Um, Illustrates this with a bunch of examples about people only eating three cookies instead of seven when they've spent a little bit of time reflecting on their values before being offered the cookies and being told to eat as many as they want, Um, just as a simple example. In step six and seven, for example, we give our, our shortcomings over to our higher power. And my understanding and my experience of how that works for me is that my higher power helps to give me the ability to change my behavior. And it's up to me to decide to act in that new way. And to some extent, that requires some willpower. I, I can't do it on willpower alone. It's, it, has been my experience, but um, I also can't just sit back and do nothing. And so it takes a certain amount of will. By focusing on my values, by focusing on the person that I want to be, um, the direction that I want to go, the purposes that I want to achieve, it makes it easier for me to continue to practice those new behaviors. You know, the whole book is about using and achieving our purpose. Quoting from Seneca The life we receive is not short, but we make it so. Nor do we have any lack of it, but are wasteful of it. Uh, And translating that into a somewhat more modern language, he's saying that we can choose to make our life as full as we will, or as empty as we will by the way in which we act. Having a purpose helps us to, to make it full rather than empty. I want to close with another reading from the book. This is um, near the end. Here's a section titled, What We Know, one titled, What We Don't Know, and But For Now. And uh, I'll read a little bit from each of those. What We Know, and What's the Verdict? I think we have enough evidence to support the following conclusions. A strong, transcending purpose in life is good for your health and well-being and protects against disease and death. Purpose is a high-level goal, which is motivating, that is deeply valued, which is also motivating. The type of values that constitute a purpose matters. A strong, transcending purpose in life reduces defensiveness to change. Purposeful living is a dynamic process that requires energy and willpower. Five positive behaviors can improve energy and willpower are sleep, presence, activity, creativity, and eating well. Space. Purposeful living is not just a higher-order aspiration for the well healed it's for everyone. What we don't know. We still don't know very much about interventions meant to increase purpose in life, let alone their results. The interventions that have been developed and tested have shown positive results, but they tend to require significant interactions with therapists and are focused on patients with serious illnesses or other problems. But for now... If I were you, I wouldn't wait around for more research. I'd just get a purpose. The scientific evidence supporting the benefits of one is extremely promising. And at the risk of sounding a bit alarmist, we need it. Again, the book is titled Life on Purpose. It's by Vic uh, Strecker, subtitled How Living for What Matters Most Changes Everything. And I will put a link to the book uh, in Amazon in the show notes for this episode at therecoveryshow.com slash 156. After a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives and in our meetings. And the first musical selection, which, again, you can listen to this on the website at therecoveryshow.com slash 156. It's a song by the group 21 Pilots called Kitchen Sink. And here's some lyrics that directly speak to finding purpose, uh, finding meaning. Says, Are you searching for purpose? Then write something. Yeah, it might be worthless. Then paint something. Yeah, it might be wordless. Pointless curses, nonsense verses, you'll see purpose start to surface. No one else is dealing with your demons, meaning maybe defeating them could be the beginning of your meaning, friend. this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives and recovery about what's happening in our meetings and in our lives this week. It's actually been um, a few weeks since I've spoken to you, but I'm going to focus on the last week or so. Uh, so last, last weekend, um, the weekend got full of, of stuff. And although my purpose was to create a podcast last weekend, I did not, um, did not manage the time or the energy to, uh, to make that happen. Uh, Last Monday in the U.S. was a holiday called Memorial Day. Memorial Day is a day when we remember those who have been in service to others, and in particular those in the armed forces, uh, although also some honor given to people such as police and firefighters who put their lives on the line to keep the rest of us safe. So we, we honor those people on that day. I in the morning went to a nearby small town to uh, to watch their Memorial Day parade to listen to the this the Memorial Day ceremony because I picked that one because um, a young friend of mine was marching in the parade it was a very moving ceremony um, an army colonel spoke about the who we honored on Memorial Day with specific people that he had known who had lost their lives in various conflicts around the world. As is, I think, traditional, certainly all the Memorial Day parades that I've participated in, always end at a cemetery. Afterwards, we took roses and placed them on the graves of veterans. I found a a veteran of the civil war in that particular ceremony and left a rose on his grave. But as I was walking through the cemetery before the parade started, because I figured I would just I would watch the parade from the end, thus not have to follow it to the cemetery for the for the ceremonies. I, I walked through the cemetery and it was quiet and peaceful and, and it was a beautiful day and I just reflected on not just Remembering the people in my life who have served in some way, but also reflecting on the ways in which those of us who have lived with this disease of addiction of alcoholism have fought our own war, have been soldiers in the war of alcoholism, the war of addiction, and spent some time honoring the people I know who have been in that war, who have fought in that war, who have been wounded by that war, who are still wounded by the after effects of being in that war, who might still be there. And the people who have lost their lives to, to this disease. Yeah. So it was, although I wasn't able to, I I, I had some thought of turning that into a podcast episode and, and I don't think I don't think I've quite got it yet. Uh, maybe next year. Right, we'll see. And I thought also about how remembering what it was like helps us in our purpose of carrying the message to have compassion and and, and understanding for the people who are still suffering. To be able to, when asked to take a moment of silence for the still-suffering alcoholic or alanon, to to really be there, to be present in that moment, um, and to come back into the present with a renewed purpose. Went to a meeting on Saturday, first meeting of the month is always uh, devoted for me to continuing to work as a group through the Blueprint for Progress. We're in the chapter on values, and we talked about a couple of of value pairs. And the the one that I took, I took a couple of notes when we were talking about patient versus impatient. Uh, And one of those notes is to remember that patience, being patient is not the same as being lazy. It's not the same as procrastinating. And it's not the same as, as wandering aimlessly coming back to, to the topic today, I guess, uh, thinking about patience with a purpose that, that when I'm patient, I'm being patient for for a purpose. I'm not being patient. I'm not saying I'm being patient just so I don't have to do anything. Somebody else observed that, uh, to a large extent, having patience is letting go of control. Something that I have struggled with for years. Something that is still sometimes difficult for me. And something that is so very true. That I have to let go of my control to need To have something to happen right now. Then I can be patient. And then Saturday night, I came home from a couple of celebrations, including a graduation party for a young friend. And saw that our dog was limping. And when I looked more closely at him, I saw that one leg was very swollen. And so, okay, acceptance, awareness... There was awareness, acceptance. I don't think this is something I can fix myself. I think this is something that I want to get a professional to look at, and then action: putting him into the car and driving to the the doggy emergency room in the middle of the night, um, and then being patient while they examined him, took X rays, etc., etc. And accepting that this was going to cost us some money, because it did. We do have pet insurance, which will help, but uh, taking a dog to the emergency room is not, not inexpensive, I'll just say that. Um, and then bringing him home and um, having patience and acceptance that uh, I had done what I could do at the time, And that healing is really now up to his body and to, you know, the antibiotics that I was given and the things that that we were asked to do to to help him heal. Uh, And since he really couldn't walk at that point, they had sedated him for the x-rays and whatnot, uh, he was definitely not going to make it up the stairs to our third floor bedroom. I was not going to carry an 80-pound dog up the stairs to our third-floor bedroom. And so, awareness of the problem, acceptance that I can't carry him upstairs, and if I go upstairs and go to bed, he may try to come up the stairs himself and hurt himself more. Um, to the action is of, I'm going to sleep on the couch downstairs, uh, so that he doesn't try to go up the stairs. And maybe he wouldn't have, and maybe he would have. But in consequence, I did not get a very good night's sleep. And that affected my energy for that, and I think just the whole anxiety over whether whether we had done all we could, whether we were going to need to do more. Um, I had a very unproductive day on Sunday. And so, taking care of myself, I decided I needed to take a personal day off of work today. Uh, both because I wasn't sure whether he was going to need more support, but also because I needed to take care of myself and I needed to give myself time and energy to do the things that I would have done on Sunday if I'd had the energy to do them on Sunday. Uh, And so I'm recording this podcast on Monday uh, because I now have the time and the energy to do it after pretty much moping away Sunday. Yep. So awareness, acceptance, action, and, uh, and letting go, you know, his, his leg and his foot are still swollen. They seem to be getting better. He doesn't seem to be as bothered by them as I am. And so I have to let go of, of my need to be anxious and something like that. Let go of worry. Got a, an email from Toby who asks, where's the step one episode? As Toby found step two, step three, step four, et cetera, and, and wants to listen to step one. And I realized that we have never done an episode explicitly titled step one. We've done episodes about various topics related to step one. Uh, and those include episode two about powerlessness, episode three about acceptance, episode seven about letting go, uh, episode 52, My Story, which has several of us sharing our stories of what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now, which is a traditional sort of step one talk format. But there's not a, an episode titled Step One. There's not an episode explicitly addressing the whole of step one. And so I think it might be time to do that. Let's do a, a step one episode. So that could be next week. Uh, love to get some contributions for that. If you want to share a little bit about what Step 1 means to you, uh, please call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795 or use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at show.com. and if you'd like to do a more substantive contribution than a minute and a half to three minute voicemail or, or an email, uh, check out our contact page at therecoveryshow.com slash contact, which has, uh, talks about a number of different ways in which you can add your voice to our conversation. And we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to get your, your voice, your contribution, whether um, it's sharing your experience, strength and hope, or asking a question because questions always lead to more sharing. So check us out at TheRecoveryShow.com contact. All the information about the show is at our website, TheRecoveryShow.com, which includes notes for each episode, and the notes for this episode will include a link to the book that I talked about, and I think there's a couple of other uh, things that I'm going to link to, and of course the, uh, the music that we talk about. So check us out. Send your friends there. If you recommend the show to your friends, send us to com. I'm going to take a short break before sharing your voices by your email or voicemails. And the second musical selection, which is available on the website, is Human by the Killers. This was recommended... Uh, I. I found a, a website where somebody asked a question hey anybody got songs about like living life finding purpose in life or whatever and and this was recommended and there's a lyric in here are we human or are we dancer which is just the grammar in there is kind of weird apparently was inspired by a comment made by Hunter S Thompson who stated that america was raising a generation of dancers that to me reflected okay so what he's saying there and And this is not to disparage dancing in general, but that if all you do is dance, then probably you don't have a purpose in life. You're just, you're, you're getting your hedonic pleasure, not your eudaimonic pleasure and lyrics here. Sometimes I get nervous when I see an open door, close your eyes, clear your heart, cut the cord. Are we human or are we dancer? My sign is vital. My hands are cold and I'm on my knees looking for the answer. Are we human or are we dancer? So a listener called in with a question saying, It seems like the voices in the podcast are going faster than normal. I don't make them go faster, I record them at the the speed that we talk and I play them back at the speed that we talk. But it is possible in some podcast apps, maybe all of them, uh, to play the podcast at faster than normal speed. And I actually take advantage of this. I listen to a lot of podcasts. And in order to be able to to listen to more, um, I tend to play them somewhere between one and a half and two times normal speed, depending on the speaker. Some, Some people I can totally get at two times normal speed. Some people talk faster and I have to slow them down. And then I have some music podcasts that I play at normal speed because playing music at at two times normal speed is an abomination. That's a value judgment. Okay. Anyway, so it seems like it might be possible that um, this listener somehow uh, accidentally hit the button that makes things play faster. If If you've run into this issue and you're not sure why it is, take a look and see if you um, find a place where it says one and a half X or two X or something somewhere in your podcast app. Becky left a comment on the website on the emotional safety episode, which was number 146. And again, if, if we, if I refer to an episode by number or if somebody else tells you an episode by number, you can go to the recovery show.com slash that number. So the recovery com slash 146 to find it. Becky writes, I'm a new listener and love the recovery show. The emotional safety episode explains so many whys in my relationships. Thank you so much for all that you do. And thank you, Becky. Because it's for people like you that I do this. Charlie responded to the Mother's Day episode. Dear Spencer, truly splendid Mother's Day podcast with deeply resonant notes for me. I'm at the same point with my own mother and your shares were well-received, both familiar and meaningful. Along those same lines, a friend recently recommended a book that might help me through this process with my mom. I picked up a copy, and five more soon after, and was immediately grateful to have found so much practical, profound, and kind information in one thin old paperback. I wished I had known about it when I was embarking on this journey with my father, who died just over two years ago. I recommend it with the same sense of knowing and compassion that my friend had for me when she suggested it. Perhaps you'll find it useful too, if you can find it. Don't let the title dissuade you, by the way. It's worth turning past the cover for the pages of Wisdom Within. And the book is titled The Good Death, An Exploration of Dying in America. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Charlie continues, My best to you with gratitude, as always, for bringing us the recovery shows, engaging and inspiring podcasts. And Charlie, thank you. Thank you so much. I think I may have seen that book, uh, but it's It's always good to have a reminder because things, I see a lot of things and then they go away and I don't remember them. And this really sounds like something that I need to read. So thank you. Toby writes about grief and loss. Hi, Spencer. I had some significant losses that I've grieved over the past number of years, starting before I entered the Al-Anon program. The grief over these losses cycles in and out of my emotions somewhat unpredictably, and I am sometimes surprised by old grief about something I thought I had processed. Before coming into the program, I had spent the previous two years wallowing in grief and letting it solidify into deep resentments and anger. Since I've been in Al-Anon, I've learned to use the tools to stay out of that resentment by keeping my focus on me and on today. Partly, that means I have to feel my feelings, including grief. I've learned that when I let myself feel the grief, it processes through and is less likely to get stuck. Another part of focusing on today for me has been learning to have an attitude of gratitude by recognizing and appreciating all the things I do have in my life. These two things, feeling my grief when it comes and cultivating an attitude of gratitude, have helped me walk more gracefully through dealing with challenges in my life, including the effects of my loved ones drinking. I'd also like to suggest a song held by Natalie Grant. The chorus really speaks to what my relationship with my higher power has been through the grieving process. The lyrics are, This is what it means to be held, how it feels when the sacred is torn from your life and you survive. This is what it is to be loved and to know that the promise was when everything fell, we'd be held. Those lyrics speak to me of the unconditional love and support of a higher power through the immense pain of loss and grief. It's a very comforting reminder that my higher power will see me through whatever life happens to throw my way. Thanks for all your hard work on the show. I really enjoy listening to it, and it helps me get through busy spells in my life when it is hard to get to meetings as often as I would like. Take care, Toby. And thank you, Toby, and thanks for that song suggestion. I'll add that to my list to uh, play in a future episode. Annette adds her thoughts about stay or go, which I mentioned at the, at the end of the uh, episode about loss, as uh, was going to be the next episode. Unfortunately, that, <laughs> that episode about loss was a, was a replay. And so um, Stay or Go uh, is an episode that we did um, a little while ago. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. I don't remember exactly which episode it is right now. And it says, I've been in recovery since October 4th after being in denial for six years. In March, I couldn't fake my marriage anymore and told my husband of 34 years I fell out of love and hated being around him most of the time due to his addiction to alcohol. I apologized for giving up. He said he knew he had a problem and wanted to solve it on his own and none of it was my fault. I let my walls come down, but now with his relapses every couple days, I feel the slow build again, brick by brick. Financially, I need to stick it out, but if I lose my serenity again, finances may not be the glue to keep us together. I may just go for a legal separation to keep the insurance benefits, too. I just can't figure out how to accept living with a man whose addiction kills any love, attraction, or desire to live with until I die of old age. I'm young enough and healthy enough to enjoy a lot of life left, but his baggage robs my joy despite my program efforts. Do those of you who still live with your active spouses just live your own life and live without a real relationship? I think I'd rather live alone than on his roller co- this roller coaster of emotions, as it's so exhausting. And yes, I turn it over to God daily and I'm on step four. Thanks for your program, Spencer. I listen to every one of them. Annette. And uh, I don't know, Annette, uh, I know that I was able to, what did you say? Stick it out. Um, (laughs) Stick it out with with my wife long enough for her to find long-term sobriety. And she went through a period of frequent relapse and it was not easy. And there were times when I didn't know how I was going to do it. And I was just making it through one day at a time. What I will also say is that as I continued to work the program, it got easier. It didn't get easy, but it got easier and it got less painful. And as I was able to find some compassion for the struggle that I could see she was having while at the same time, just wishing it would be over. Um, that also made it easier and it made it easier to stay because I could, I I came to realize that I did still love her, you know, but it's each of us has to make that decision on our own. And for me, I was able to stay. Um, The program gave me that strength and, and she did find eventually long-term sobriety and, and she's been in that sobriety for over 10 years now. I don't know if it had been 10 more years of drinking I don't know where I'd be now. Um, Luckily, I don't have to know that today. Frances sent an email asking about downloading an episode to her iPad and was having trouble. And I responded with these instructions and I thought they might be helpful to, to you if you want to download a particular episode. So maybe you can share it with a friend or listen to it again. And this is what I wrote. When I open the show in the podcasts app, and that's the Apple podcasts app, um, there is an option to view all episodes of the show. And then I can scroll that list, which is getting pretty long. There's about 150 episodes in that list right now. I can scroll to the episode that I want and there's a little cloud icon. And when I tap that cloud icon, it will then download, uh, the episode onto my phone or onto my iPad in in the application. Uh, depending on how you have your settings, you might have to be on Wi Fi before it will download. Um, you know, depending on your data plan, whether you you can download it um, on on your phone data or whether you have to download it on Wi Fi. I guess with an iPad, you're typically going to be on Wi Fi, but not necessarily. Anyway, uh, and uh, and Francis wrote back and said that worked. And thank you. And so I share that with you if you wanted to know how to do that. And this is how it works in the podcast app on iOS 9. Your mileage may vary if you have an Android phone or an earlier version. Uh, Sharon sent us an email, said, Hi, Spencer et al. Haven't listened to you in a very long time and was so glad I tuned in this week. It turned out I'd actually contributed to episode 76, which was the loss episode that that I uh, replayed a couple weeks ago. My only child was the alcoholic I adored, and he died 22 months ago, of cancer, but still an active alcoholic. I have been slowly recovering from the fog, and Al-Anon is one of the ways I've been able to cope. Al-Anon allows me to have my feelings without any judgment over how my grief exhibits. I will continue my active commitment to Al-Anon, even though there is no longer active alcoholism in my life, because I'm the one who needs the work. Thanks for being here, even when I wasn't. Sharon. Pat left us a voicemail.
1: Hey Spencer, this is Pat from the West Coast. Um, just wanted to call and tell you how much I really love the Step 9. Gosh, that is a great episode. Anybody out there thinking about, even thinking about Step 9, I really encourage them to go back and, and look up that episode. It's just so right on. We had had a Step 9 meeting at my regular weekly meeting this week and I came home and had this. Uh Aha! Actually, it was just minutes after the meeting was out. I was driving home, and I just uh aha! That well, the primary drinker in my life is no longer there, and I have a spouse who does not drink at all or use drugs. After eight years with him, I had an amends to make, and it's about the way I fight. And it was just this great uh aha moment that it had nothing to do. With my life when I was living with the alcoholic and it had to do with how I am with my current self. So anyway, I'm, I'm excited because I feel hopeful that I'll be able to break a cycle of arguing, um by taking better responsibility and you know talking there about the difference between I'm sorry and the then and it just feels so positive know that this is an amends where I have a vision of how I can do things better. Namely, when I'm arguing with him, not dragging up the path, not taking his inventory drop and dropping the rope instead of just hugging the partner. Thanks so much. And, and as always, guys, I just love your program. I'm so appreciative of it. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks, Pat. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Faye, Lucy, Michelle, and Sharon did. Thank you again, Faye, Lucy, Michelle, and Sharon for your contributions. We have put together a list of recovery-related books. If you click on the books link at the top of the page, you can order books from Eleanor or from Amazon. And if you order one of them from Amazon through our website, we do receive a small commission. In fact, anything you order from Amazon after clicking on one of the links will help us. and costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it. Whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, just direct them to therecoveryshow.com, or listening to us. We are here for you. Our last song selection is Find the River by R.E.M., which you can listen to at the recovery com slash 156. Somebody wrote about this on the web that he finds this just to be a song about finding purpose in life. And here's some lyrics that I think speak to that. Me, my thoughts are flowers strewn ocean storm, Bayberry moon. I've got to leave to find my way, watch the road and memorize this life that passed before my eyes. Nothing is going my way. The ocean is, is the river's goal, a need to leave, the water knows, we're closer now than light years to go. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.